Good morning, church. When you get to know the hearts of our worship team, you know that they're not in it for this. But could we just give a round of applause for a wonderful set of worship this morning? Yeah, so thankful. I just want to say to those who have not really deeply or tried engaging in uh, prayer and fasting, or if you did at the beginning of the month, we still have 10 days. And I want to encourage you that uh, you would ask God, Lord, what would you want me to do to engage in some sort of fast? Uh, and there are spiritual disciplines of engagement, and there are, there are spiritual disciplines of withdrawal. Dallas Willard teaches about this. And those that intentionally help us to withdraw from certain things for the purpose of connecting with God, for the purpose of having him work deep within us, growing dependency on him, often reveals stuff in our life. Um, I was reading this week someone who uh, was teaching that if you fast significantly, what it does is it reveals your idols. And we all have them, and our role is to dethrone them. And then every single area of our life, every nuance is dedicated to God. And so when you withdraw from something, it shows you, for example, if you're under stress, for, what do you go to? And that might be something that you might want to fast from for a season, however long the Lord tells you. I've been so encouraged for many of you, you talked about, you've you know, taken steps for fasting for the first time. You fasted for a day, and others said, man, I did this for three days, or some have said, I was talking to some this morning, did for five days, first time ever. And uh, so I just want to encourage you, remember, the purpose is to connect with God and to intercede, to pray. And uh, we use that time, we th focus our thoughts to pray. And I just want to say that as a church, as we do this together and pray for the church, pray for our lives, pray for our leaders, pray for the ministry and the mission of the church, we will see God do things. We'll see him at work. And so uh, one of our deepest values of the church is prayer-saturated ministry and mission. So I implore you and ask you to come to pray, to fast and pray. If for no one else, please do it for me because you know how much work I need. So, um, yeah, so God bless you. Six prayers for vital health, spiritual health, for vital faith. And uh, we're almost through today. Actually, we're, man, we're hitting number four. This is going to be over before we know it. Often in our spiritual journey, again, we get stuck. And as we pray for things, it helps us. And then today, uh, I just, I need to tell you that uh, when I planned this, uh, the version uh, that I had memorized this verse in, it just gave me the theme, and I was so excited about it. It seemed to balance out all the things we've been talking about. And as I got deep into the word and the scripture and the original languages on this one, I discovered something. There's one verse in our thing that might be one of the most difficult verses to translate and interpret in the entire New Testament. And uh, it's not to scare you, 
So what I've done is I, I went deep on this one and found what are sort of the three biggest ways that people have interpreted this. And when I mean people, I mean literally even people who do versions of the Bible. They have teams of people, scholars with letters behind their names bigger than me uh, that, that work on these together. And uh, even within those circles, uh, it's not that there's confusion. It's just that the word that is really anchoring the passage, especially this one verse, is so rich and fulsome that it's, it's tough to translate because it's the same word is used in about six different ways in the New Testament. So it's, it's not to threaten you, not to make you not trust your word, just to know it's just so beautiful. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to tell you right off. I'm not going to tell you off. I'm going to tell you at the beginning <laughs> what I'm going to do with this. And that is, once we get through it, I'm going to build our application outline based on the three major ways that our Bibles write or interpret this verse because they all give a beautiful nuance, okay? Are you okay with that? Or I could just choose one and just not say anything, but I just want to be honest with you that sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, it's a little tricky, uh, and you'll notice why different versions, it seems a little different. Are you okay out there with that? That's okay. All right. So here we go. Uh, we've been looking at 2 Thessalonians 1, uh, Ephesians 1, Colossians 1, and now Philemon. Now, I, I use 1 verse 6. There's actually only one chapter. And so whether you call it Philemon 6, Philemon 6 or Philemon 1, 6, it's, it's up to you. This is where we're headed today. And again, the context for Philemon is uh, he was a businessman that... Uh, lived in Colossae. We looked at Colossians last week. Remember, it's in that modern-day Turkey, southwest area of Turkey. It's not on the coast, but it's there, been there. There's not much to see these days about Colossae uh, compared to some of the other sites like Hierapolis and Laodicea or, or in Ephesus. But it's, uh, it's, you do see kind of growth over mounds of things that used to be there. And uh, again, so we're, we're looking at this. The letter was written by the Apostle Paul uh, to a recipient called Philemon. And again, a strong believer, uh, business person probably, as uh, much of the reading and study uh, I did this week reveals. And he probably came to faith when he went to Ephesus, maybe on a business trip, and he encountered the Apostle Paul. And so he comes back, and uh, in this book, you'll talk about his wife, Ephia, and his son, uh, likely his son, and these people that are engaged in the church there. He's, this is the only letter of Paul's letter in the New Testament that actually addresses an individual. But even at that, there's other times when he's, he's saying you in the, in the, in the book, and he's, it's actually in plural. So whether he's talking to the whole family or to the entire church. And so he was a man of affluence who we're going to discover in the first verses, he, he actually blessed so many saints. He was refreshed by Paul and many others, and he used his resources and even opened his home, and the church met in his house. Sometimes, this is for free, sometimes um, when we think, and people write about this, Sometimes we think that when it says the church, in, the church in the New Testament after was just like four or five people hiding in a house. Uh, 
If you've ever been to Ephesus and you've ever excavated, you've been in the excavated terrace homes in, along the hillside of, of Ephesus, you'll know that there are some great rooms, I've been in one, that could seat 200 people. So don't limit your thinking that the church in the New Testament was only like six people sitting hiding in a little room. That was true of some, in some situations, but not always. So I just want us to just be a little, and, and Philemon has opened his home, a wealthy man, to the church, and he invested in the church greatly. You got that? Is that enough? Okay, let's move on to the passage. We're only looking at four verses, but actually keying in on one today. Let's read the text. I thank God always, my God always, when I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear of your love and your faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. This is a little confusing just to, to make it sure. He doesn't have faith in the saints, the, the Christians in his church, uh, just the way it's written. It's, it's, so generally it's of your faith toward the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints as well. Verse 6. And I pray, here's the main prayer, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. The word of the Lord. Now, if you haven't read the book of Philemon or the letter to Philemon, I encourage you to do that. Not now, but I encourage you to do that uh, sometime soon. It's a wonderful story, and uh, we looked at it in our small group uh, last year, and uh, it was just a, it's a really refreshing story. It has a, a deep meaning and challenge to the church about how do you deal with forgiveness for those who have wronged you. And churches are notorious when people do something and wrong them that they hide from each other run or ignore those who have done so. And this letter doesn't let us off the hook that easy. So sometime read the wonderful story uh, in Philemon. Here's the main prayer request. I'll just lay it out there. This is from the ESV, but it generally captures most of the versions. He prays that the sharing of your faith may become effective. Now, here's the challenge. The word sharing is a word that some of you who grew up in the church and have heard in the church before, it's a word koinonia. Ever heard that word before? It's a Greek word that generally sometimes is translated fellowship, koinonia. I remember when I was in Bible college and seminary, I had to do this study through the New Testament on the word koinonia. And koinonia is actually used many different ways in the New Testament. And we're going to discover three big ones. But it is, again, as I said earlier, got about six or seven different applications where we would think it's not, but it's the very same word. So it's a very rich, multifaceted word. The tapestry of it is is so beautiful. So it's not that they don't understand what it means. They're trying to see of what of all of these dynamics that this word is for, what is meant here? That's the kicker. So 
The first uh, aspect we're going to look at, I'm going to use the NIV, or sorry, this is, the, this is the verse. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that's in us for the sake of Christ. Oh, I put it up here for you, sorry. Here's uh, what koinonia, it means sharing, it means fellowship, it means partnership, it means communication, it means con- contribution, it means communion. So you'll be reading a passage and it'll be talking about your communion. We have communion or fellowship with the blood of Christ. We talk about your contribution to the saints. Uh, That's the, you know, we're going to learn about this. All these different things are a part of this beautifully rich word that the Holy Spirit led the Apostle Paul to use. So here's here's what our talk today is going to be about this. What are the ways in which we share our faith? I'm going to highlight three. They come out of various versions and the depth of the rich, richness of the word, okay? The first way we share our faith is through our witness. Through our witness. And I'm going to admit that this first point will probably take the most of anything. So don't worry when you get to one and I move to the second and you're going to be going, oh, man. I know men, some of us in this room got to get to a funeral down in North York. It's Sue's dad's funeral today at 1 o'clock. So uh, just if you understand, if we kind of zip later, then that's what's going on. We share our faith through our witness. Now, this one seems obvious to us. Being a witness, sharing the gospel, that is the love and the good news of Jesus Christ, being a positive influence in guiding people to know and intensely follow Christ. I know it can feel daunting. Uh, I read this week that one author said, it's easier to get people in the church to clean the lavatories with a toothbrush than to do witnessing or to do evangelism. And especially it's true in our culture today. In fact, we did a series last year that, that was to try to disarm us encourage us to see, hey, I can do this. And the, ser- the series was called Bless. And it's rooted back in the Old Testament where God called Abraham and he says, I'm choosing you and I'm going to bless you so that you become a blessing to every nation. And believers, we are blessed in God, not for our own sort of, you know, enjoyment, if you will. Any blessings we receive from God is so that we can bless other people. And so, very quickly, I'll just say, in the activity, of, as we actively share our faith, it blesses people. The B in blessed stood for begin with prayer. The L was listen with compassion. You know, we listen to people intently, to their stories, to their journeys, their worries, their values, their pain, their opinions, their beliefs, their answers to your questions you ask. Too many times Christians think that witnessing is about just, you know, motoring with your little, you know, preconceived uh, speech. No, we pray for people and then we connect and listen, listen. Then, my favorite of the five, eat together. Amen? Good dynamics happen over food. Sharing a coffee or a meal or a dessert or a bowl of popcorn. It's wonderful. 
Ask them to serve a need. As you hear what they're doing and you're building relationship, you will discover they have needs or things going on in their life, and you can help. So then you can give practical care or practical help if they need to drive some work, you know, they need something picked up at the store, shoveling their snow or cutting grass or babysitting or praying over them. You can serve them and then share story. We share the wonderful story, our testimony, but especially the story of Christ, about God's love for them, about the forgiveness we have in Christ and the new life that comes through him and his Holy Spirit. A new way to live and giving us purpose. So this is a wonderful beauty, the sharing of story, engaging in spiritual conversations, asking questions, inquiring about their beliefs, inviting them to church. I just wanted to highlight uh, one of our elders, uh, Dwayne, and there's very few people I know that do this as, as often as he does. Uh, Dwayne, he's the guy, if you are new here, who often brings like a 15th century prayer. And, uh, and Duane, um, I, I've been with him, I've golfed with him, I've watched and I've listened, and he's told me that many, I've met some of the people he works with who uh, he is being a witness to who he's blessing. And so this S thing, he, he found this book and he bought it for me, it's called How to Talk to Jesus Without Sounding Like an Idiot. <laughs> Don't you love that? I, I, I wanna tell you, it's by Andy Bannister, and I find it so refreshing. And so when you take the blessed thing on one hand, when you get to the last S about sharing, you, need, you, you guys, you need to read this uh, and just embrace its principles. He, he talks about the eight big fears, what keeps us away from doing this and all of those kinds of things. Then he gets into very practical ways that you can actually do this. Like the danger of having people that are like experts who you know, like seem like, you know, they win like 50 people a month to Christ is the practice, most of us, and, and I'm one of them, we just feel, oh, I can't do that. And, or we feel we don't know enough. And the beauty, as you read the book, is you can just start to feel yourself as you're reading go, wow, I, I can identify. Maybe I can do this. So I just encourage you to read that. Okay. But always remember this. When you're witnessing, when you're being, you know, helping guide someone when you're sharing the love of Christ or when you're, you're just blessing others, it's not all about you. There is someone working that you don't see. Even when you don't see it, he's working. And I took a class from a, a, a professor out in Regent College. He's a friend, uh, Dr. Ross Hastings. And uh, Ross wrote a book called Missional God. And Ross says, God is the greatest evangelist. He is a missional God. He is on mission all the time, relentlessly, patiently. And so you can trust him. It doesn't all hang on you, whether you say the right thing, whether you mess up in front of your friends and they see. It's not all about he is. He is active and involved. Here's the verse that really fuels this perspective about how we share our faith is in through actually being a witness. And it's found in the, the NIV 1984 version, and this is where I memorized it, and it's been part of my journey the whole time. Here's how, here's how this is translated. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. 
Now I want to just, I want to unpack this for a second because this is counterintuitive to Christians. Actively sharing our faith with those who do not yet believe heightens our own personal experiential understanding of all that we have in Christ. As we are engaged in witness, it grows us. Some of you think if you're in a rut, you go, man, how can I grow spiritually lately? I just encourage you, take the risk and start thinking about and engaging in proactive witness for Christ. And there's three ways that he grows us. And I'm just going to, I'm going to power through this, but really, I'm going to give three in illustrations of them. It builds our character more like Jesus. The more we engage actively sharing our faith, we come to a deeper understanding of all we have in Christ. It grows us. Here's how it grows our character in authenticity. Because I don't know about you, but when you start being, you know, talking with, building relationship with those that don't know Christ, they'll sniff out your inauthenticity. They see fakeness a mile away. And so as you do, it actually, it moves you. It's like, oh boy, I got to grow here. Yeah, I got to really actually walk the talk. You can't fake it. They sniff out that kind of hypocrisy. Obedience, it, uh, obeying the commands of Christ, not to hide our faith, not to be undercover followers of Jesus, but to make disciples, to be witnesses, to give an answer for those about the hope we have. We, we obey the commands of the Scripture, and so it grows our obedience. It grows humility. When you realize, I can't save anyone, you're completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Facing the fact that we don't know it all yet. You, someone might ask you a question, you don't know. It, it's humbling. Owning up to the atrocities committed under the name of Christianity in history. It's humbling. You've got to embrace that. You can't try to excuse it. It's horrible, some of the stuff. Or the sin of prominent believers or people they know that are Christians that act in very obnoxious ways. You can't. What do you got to do? You just got to be humble and acknowledge it. Or maybe your own shortcomings. You know how many times I had to apologize to Big Mike? You see, it's humbling because you realize as you get into the thick of people's lives and here's what they're actually going through, you realize I'm just like that if it wasn't for God's grace. Love, it grows our love. As we get to know and listen and respect them, as we hear their stories, we celebrate their success and sympathize with their failures, our hearts get touched. We see their brokenness or their pain, and it moves us. The Spirit grows sympathy and empathy within it. His love for the people grows and begins to express itself. It says that the love of Christ, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts through the Spirit. And He begins to work in us and open our hearts to people. We're drawn to them as they are increasingly vulnerable and open up more of their lives. Do you notice that? If you're in a group... I, I used to do this with pastors all the time. We'd be in pastoral groups and stuff, and they would be talking about all the great things like do, and I watch everyone. Everyone's sitting back listening to each other. 
So I decided that I'm going to start to do some things, and I'm going to talk about mess-ups and screw-ups and how we're failing at the church and this and that and what I did stupid. And all of a sudden, I noticed that everyone was leaning in. You see, we're drawn to each other's brokenness and failures. We're kind of repelled by success and self-elevation. So as you hear and you see it, you'll draw in. You understand, you feel for their losses or, you know, you, will, you know, sense the depth of their struggles for some, a lack of hope. And you just long for them to root their identity in the unchanging love of God, to find them in Christ, sealed by the Spirit. It grows faith because you pray for them and you're trusting God that he's going to hear and answer. You're going to believe that he can transform that life Trust he's going to use you in the process. Courage, it builds courage. As uh, you know, you, you quit being an undercover Christian. Declare yourself as a follower of Jesus and ask questions and engage in spiritual conversations and respond to the hope. It takes courage. And as you do and the Spirit helps you, you grow, you grow in courage. It develops perseverance and patience to withstand the initial response of being labeled You've got to persevere through that. Being scorned, made fun of. Got to be patient when it seems like nothing's happening. Or you're going backwards in this whole trying to influence people for, with the love of Christ. It takes perseverance and patience to not give up over the long haul. Especially when it feels like, again, nothing's going on. Or like, I, I remember, I mean, my own brother. My parents prayed, what, 27 years for that character. Patiently, persevering. I had the wonderful privilege of praying with, my, with my, a friend of mine recently, but it was 21 years of intentional connection with him. Sometimes it takes a long time. Do you, it develops perseverance and patience. Here's the second thing. Not only does it grow our character, it increases our knowledge of our faith. Because it motivates us. If we start to do that, go in public, man, I, gotta, I better know what the Bible teaches. I have to ingest it more. I've got to know what are the, the teachings of the Christian faith. What, do, what are the beliefs? What do we believe? And I'm sorry to say it, but the word doctrine is beautiful. Like what is, or the worldview. What's our... What's our Christian worldview, really? And it forces us to think a little bit. It compels us to search for answers when they ask us questions and we don't know. Some of you might have a perception. of me. I, you know how many times I, I just go, you know what, that is a great question. And I don't really, I'm not sure I can give you a substantial answer right now. Can I get back to you? And uh, it just, it forces us to grow and learn. To read, search the scripture, read books, listen to podcasts or watch video clips, something to begin to help us understand. And this is a beautiful thing. It makes us think more deeply about the issues that people face. You know, Bannister in his book said, if we just start throwing Christian platitudes, I'm telling you, that, that happens all the time. Bumper, stick the, bumper sticker theology isn't going to influence anyone. But as you think deeply about the things they're wrestling with, it'll make us think 
uh, then we, we would come up with maybe a more substantive answer. It forces us to think about God, Father, Son, and Spirit, about the gospel, about how, how Christ is the answer, not to just say, Jesus is the answer. How is he the answer to their loneliness, to their brokenness, to their emptiness? You see, it causes us to think deeper. It causes us to think about human suffering, good and evil. Not only does it grow our character and our, our knowledge or our understanding of the faith, it, it grows our experience of seeing God at work. That's a beautiful thing. We experience his strength within us and we go, wow, God help me with that. We realize his, he's answering prayers and we go, man, he's engaged, he's active in this. He'll give you an idea in your mind, a question to ask. He'll guide you what to say. He'll shut you up when you shouldn't say anything. He'll impress upon things upon you that you can bring to the relationship. Give you an idea how to serve them. You see God growing your character, increasing your understanding and knowledge. And you see him create opportunities. Working in your friends, your colleagues, classmates, your neighbors, or especially you get to celebrate when he gives you the privilege of being present when that person prays to receive Christ and come into the family of God. When you see God at work, it just grows you. Does this make sense to you? The sharing of our faith really does grow us. So that's from the first interpretation. And sorry that's the longest one, but we'll keep going. Here's the second way we share our faith. We share our faith through our generosity. Through our generosity. The sharing of your monetary resources and material goods, giving practical help that's motivated by faith and love for others. Sharing our faith in practical, sacrificial ways and giving. You see, Philemon's reputation, we read about it earlier, and if you go and read the first part in the first few verses too, Paul was so much, he, he affirmed him for his providing for Paul and the church and other believers and the gospel's mission beyond his own church. Here's where this verse comes. Again, remember koinonia is, is actually translated uh, in, in this whole way. And here's the verse that the New Living Translation coins this and, and grabs that part of it. And they, their, their editor said it this way. And I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Jesus said he'll meet your needs according to his riches and glory. All that we have in Christ, he'll take care of you as we express our faith in practical, practical ways. Remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the churches in Macedonia begged Paul, even though they were in poverty, they begged Paul for the opportunity to give, to take part, various versions say it this way, take part, participating in or giving towards, sharing in the relief and the support of the saints who were in need. And that word that's translated how they, they beg to participate or to share, and that's very clear in the, in the 
in the passage that it's, it's monetarily or material goods. That word is koinonia. You see, Philemon, Philemon had this reputation of giving and supporting the work and the needs of people, sharing his home too. And it's a very practical way. When, we, when people see or are the recipients of, because of your faith and love, that you give, that you meet needs, that you share stuff, it's one of the ways that you share your faith. For God so loved the world that he gave. And that's one way that we give testimony and share the faith is when we give. Okay? I can see you're getting restless, so let's move on. Here's the last way we share our faith. We share our faith not only through witness and generosity, but through our fellowship. Through our fellowship. This might be the the way most commentators would land on this one. It's the mutual sharing of our faith together with other believers. Whereas the NIV talked about it in sharing their faith, sharing, like, witnessing to unbelievers, this is witnessing among ourselves, the sharing of our faith together as we gather, as we worship, as we serve together, sharing our discipleship journeys with other believers, what Jesus is doing in us and through us. I was encouraged this morning talking about, uh, with our, my brother and sister about their first stab at you know, uh, fasting for five days. They'd never done it before. And I was so encouraged by them about their, their intentionality, about what God was doing in their hearts and all those kinds of things. Uh, We share as we walk through struggle together. We care for one another, carrying each other's burdens. We give witness to how God is working in us and helping us. We share our joys and our heartaches. We encourage one another in the faith, stimulating one another to love and good deeds. We serve together with our spiritual gifts and strengthen and build up the church, open up about our struggles and our challenges, being authentically vulnerable with one another. We teach and admonish, exhort and confront and love and forgive, motivate and inspire one another all around our faith. Confess our sin, our faults. We give testimony as we did a few weeks ago. You see, we're together in this. In our common faith, we talk about it. We share it with one another. And what that does is it it encourages us and it inspires us to keep growing. Because when we do this, when we talk about what God's doing, we share our experience on our journey in Christ, it gives us deeper understanding of all that we have in him. Does that make sense to you? Here's the passage I'll choose from the Good News Translation. My prayer is that our fellowship, some will use partnership, with you as believers, that's the key thing, will bring about a deeper understanding of every blessing which we have in our life, in our union with Christ. So such shared faith produces a deeper spiritual understanding of Christ's many blessings, and we mature and grow and are strengthened in such a fellowship with one another. There's so many blessings we share in our corporate union with Christ 
and they're realized as we participate in real fellowship with one another. I love sports. You know that. I love kind of lots of different things. But when I can engage in conversation with you about what God's doing in your life, that's the beauty of our life groups. You can talk about real life and how, how Christ is working in you, what you're struggling with. And you share your faith and lift one another up. You encourage each other, motivate. And that's a beautiful thing. As we share our fellowship together with one another, it brings deeper understanding of who we are. So to summarize, here's where we are. We share our faith in different ways. We share our faith through witness as we share our faith with unbelievers. And it grows us. It makes us aware of all we have. We, we share our faith through our generous and sacrificial service by giving, sharing, providing. And we share our faith through deep fellowship of our faith. Church, share your faith. We can all do this I have a friend out west who's uh, got this gift of evangelism. I was always so intimidated. He was lead people to Christ so much. Ray Matheson, we called him one a day Ray. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. It was like almost every day he would lead someone to Jesus. The problem with that, when I look at myself compared to him, I feel like a failure. I could never do that. Jesus doesn't ask you to convert anybody. He asks you to bless them and be a witness and to love people. So I encourage you, church, let's share our faith through our witness. Let's share our faith through our giving. It's a privilege. We experience God in ways we never would if we don't. We share our resources with one another as well, as we give to the poor as well. Just this, this whole Christian's demeanor ought to be one of giving, not accumulating. And then we share our faith as we fellowship and actually talk about our faith. We inspire and encourage each other. Get it? That's good. Let's pray our heads in prayer. Again, I just encourage anyone in the room who is, you know, is connected with the church, who's never really embraced the good news of Christ. Maybe they've been the recipient of some hypocrisy or hurt. They can't get their minds around some of the atrocities of the past under the name of Jesus. Yeah, I understand that. And I just would encourage you to not let the illogical application of the teaching of Christ or the sinful behavior of others rob you of the experience of God's deep, deep love for you, 
of the forgiveness that is yours in Christ, out of the real dynamic new life from God above that will give birth inside you, of the security of knowing your home forever is in heaven because of what Christ has done for you. And church, may, may we follow and live lives that share our faith. May koinonia burst from us in all of its wonderful ways so that we would know and experience all that we have been blessed with in Christ for the good of others and for his glory.